You are listening to a Spoken Word Ministries podcast. Our heart is to proclaim the gospel and equip believers for ministry. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, go to www.swma.ca. You can also find us on Facebook. Now sit back and enjoy this message. So often I run into believers that they don't have that anchor point in the core teachings. So for me, a number of years ago, as I was looking at my uh, at the ministry God was calling me on, and you look at all the seminars and all the teachings and all the confusion going around and who's right and who's wrong and whatever else, I found myself looking in the scripture for what Jesus said was the most important thing. And so I found myself drawn to the core teachings. And the more I teach, the more I realize, oh my goodness, they apply to everything, right? It's so simple. It applies to everything. So Claude and me have been dragging around together, and, and um, um, you've been dragging me around. Well, we've been, we've been doing some. There's been some dragging anyway. The levy road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgive you. He just. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're practicing. That's right. That's right. So what I what I wanted to ask Claude to do today, uh, and I've already asked him, is if he would stand up with us a little bit, just share a little bit about. The core teachings and um, the impact of those in his life and such things. Okay. Um, I'll come up here. Give you a marker. Wait, I'm right there. Yep. Okay, the one that's had the most impact on my life is Mark 115. Which, I'm not very good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, which basically says the kingdom of God is at hand. And I like sitting down, so I'm going to sit down. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe. And the reason, so what White uh, talks about in the repenting part is uh, confessing and re- uh, confessing. So under the confessing comes two things. The first thing is... Um, Actually under the repentance. Repentance. Thanks, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I must be nervous or something. Sorry. Yeah, for sure. It's right on the coffee table. There you go. There you go. What did you say the first one? Repent and believe. So repent. Yeah. R&B, rhythm and blues. And believe. So under repenting is the confessing. Yep. And renouncing. So the thing, I, the thing that really had an impact on me is what do I actually confess? So normally, like for the last, I, I became a Christian in 1981. I think most of my life was just, Lord, I repent from my anger. I repent from my pride. I repent from just sins. But as I started going more and more through boys' teachings, and even the... The, sem- the first few seminars that I, I attended, I began to realize that what I'm really confessing is stepping out in my own strength. And that was really new to me. Mm-hmm. Because all of my, I became a Christian in 81, and, all, and I went through four years of Bible school. And most of what I had learned, and probably a lot of that was my own fault, because I'm pretty thick. But most of what I learned was, you know, when you, when you sin, when you do a sin, so you get angry and you yell at somebody. Well, then you go and you ask for forgiveness and you you confess that to the Lord and, and you renounce it. You repent of that. But the thing I didn't get was that all of that came out of something that was just dealing with stuff in my own strength, which brought me to the next verse that has really, which is, I think it comes more out of your core teaching. I don't know if you would consider your core teaching white, but. Romans 14, verse 23, which says, anything that is not of faith is sin, mm-hmm. which which really blew me away, because when you start really unwrapping that, what that means is that we are operating in our own strength. And, and then Boyd talks about Genesis chapter 3, you know, bite this and you can be your own God, you can do life your own way in your own strength, in your own wisdom, with your own purposes and goals. It's all about you. 
you going independent of God. And really grasping that this year, the becoming independent, that's, to me, that was a, a game changer for me in learning to walk, because that actually transformed the way I operate with, the way I engage with God and the way I relate to God, because now my I'm not so focused at not sinning, in other words, being a nice person and striving to be good. But now my focus is completely different. My focus is just surrendering to God and constantly inviting Him into my life. So like I like <coughs> first thing I in the morning I go sit on the toilet and the first thing I do is and I just sit there and I say, Lord, I just invite you into my day. That's the first thing I do. When I go sit down and I go sit down and have a coffee because it takes me at least a half an hour to wake up. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm closing my eyes, and I'll say, Lord, mm-hmm. I, and I sometimes in the morning I feel like kind of like a low-grade depression. And so I just say, Lord, I just invite you into my, my low-grade depression. Mm-hmm. And when I'm feeling anxious, I just say, Lord, I just invite you into my anxiousness, my anxiety. And the verse that has really been um, ministering to me lately is from Philippians 2.13. It says, uh, God is at work in you to give you the desire and the power to do whatever pleases Him. Amen. And I'm going, that is so amazing. That is so liberating because it's no longer me doing it. So this, and, and so that, and Boyd goes through this. He, it, he really gets down to nitty gritty. How does this actually work from moment to moment, from hour to hour in your day? And so, like, Boys constantly say, "Let's just let's just invite Jesus into that. Invite God into that. Invite God into that." And I've never been taught that, you know. And that that has really, and that really is essentially how you actually walk with the Spirit. It says in Galatians five, "If you live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit." In other words, if we have the Spirit, let's 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 um, invite Him to be our companion during the day. Let him be our companion, and let him live through us. So, yeah, I would say the Mark one fifteen, um, confess and repent, Rene- uh, repent and believe, and believe. Sorry, repent and believe, and uh, and just rest in him. And how do you rest in him? Well, you just keep inviting him in him and saying, Lord, I can't, I can't do life without you. I can't, I can't like, I can't love these people. I just don't have the power to do that, and acknowledging that, and so then, then you start inviting God to come in and do it. Help, help me. I don't even use the word help anymore. I just say, Lord, do it through me. Do it in me. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's nice. pretty summary. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. forgiveness processes where and I, I'm just going to unpack that a little bit not using the word help anymore uh, it, for those of you who do use the word it's not wrong to use the word but you can't get stuck on that word you know oftentimes we run into people it's help me prayers right and we've got this agenda and I know what I want to do Lord help me do what I want to do right and God's going are you kidding me because what you want to do is going to cause harm right it's a selfish thing it's a whatever thing um, um, you know so sometimes God will not help you do what you want to do because what you want to do is selfish. So anyway, on, on the other hand, then you get people that are sort of stuck in, that, in, the, in the healthy mode. And, and to complete that, Jesus says, you need, to re- you need to move over here as well. Like, receive. So we've seen people that have, you know, help me, Lord, forgive myself. Help me, Lord, forgive myself. And they can't forgive themselves. Help me forgive myself. Are you ready now to receive the forgiveness? I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> And suddenly you go, what do you mean? You don't know. You're begging for help to forgive yourself, but you don't think you're ready to receive the help. 
and we run into people that, you know what, their mentality is this, is that what I've done is so bad that if God won't forgive, won't punish me, I'm going to punish myself. And so they keep themselves stuck over here. This, if they stay here, they can look religious, asking for the help, but never receiving it. And so then when Claude talks about that core teaching, right, uh, that core teaching is uh, to renounce what is past. But when you confess something, Lord, I, I, I am, I'm in sin, I'm ready to renounce that sin and move forward and receive the help. So what are we, what are we designed for? When we talk about living in Christ, Galatians 5.1 says that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. What are we designed for? The scripture says we are designed to live in freedom. So if we go back to Adam and Eve, that's what they are designed for. And at the beginning, they did live in freedom. And uh, so um, they were in relationship with God. They had an intact relationship with God. And then they lived in freedom with each other. They collaborated in the garden. They lived together. They enjoyed each other, all that kind of stuff. They were in relationship to each other. That's what we're designed for. And then, as Claude says, you know, along comes the devil. And the thing that we notice about the devil is the devil is always, uh, we always see him trying to destroy relationships. So the first time we see the devil in the garden, he comes up to Adam and Eve, and he says, bite this and you can be like God, which means bite this, right? Do what God told you not to do, and you can, you can become your own God. What does it mean to become your own God? What does a God do? Anyone, any thought? Is in charge of everything. Is in charge of things, exactly. So the temptation is this. Don't depend on God, depend on yourself. Don't let God run your life, you run your life yourself. So when we think about this, the temptation is from to, to move from God dependence to self-dependence. That's the temptation. You run your own life, your own way, by your own strength. Who here has long, lived long enough to know that that doesn't work very well? <laughs> Pick me, right? So this is what happened in the garden. When they bit the apple, they moved over here to self-dependence. So Claude already mentioned Romans 14.23. What is sin? We talk about breaking the Ten Commandments. We talk about shooting the neighbor's cat. We talk about all that kind of stuff, right? That would be sin. Well, that would be a manifestation of sin. When you think about sin, think about this. There's a heart. There's the person, right? Put the head on them right there. The sin lives in the heart here. The acts of sin are out here. And I run into people all the time that are busy trying to suppress the acts of sin. You know, okay, tomorrow I won't shoot the neighbor's new cat, right? I, I won't do it, right? I'll stop that, right? And yet I hate the stupid neighbor's cat, right? And they never deal with this. We see this especially in addictions. You get a guy over here who's busy trying to suppress his addictions. He puts all his energy into his addictions. And actually he stays totally self-centered. He stays totally... His, his focus on trying to wipe out this one sin takes up all his life energy and he still stays totally selfish. And when you talk to him two weeks down the road, he's still got no relationships, he's still all alone, and half the time he goes back to another addiction. So when your goal is just to suppress the sins in your life, you will never find freedom. Because this sin comes back to you. I'm on my own. So what do we want to do? This is what Christ comes to do. Christ comes to establish a relationship in here, to defeat the sin in here, so that these sins out here begin to lose their power. If all our focus is on is eradicating the, the activities, without being on with the heart, we will never be free. Right? So anyway, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, and along comes the devil, and the devil says, like this, you could be your own God. And in that moment, what the, what the scripture teaches, Romans chapter 5 says they died spiritually. I always wondered about that as a young person, because I heard about this dying. <clears throat> the day you eat of the tree, you will die. They didn't die. They just got kicked out of the garden. Romans 5 says they died spiritually. And what that means is it means, like if you think about a relationship, and you betray a relationship, and suddenly there's a separation between you and the other person, the relationship has just died. It's like a divorce. Anyway, the interesting thing about this is the moment that this relationship died, something happened to this relationship too. We see Adam and Eve go hiding in, hiding in the bush, 
and God comes along and he notices something's wrong right away because why? Because their behavior had changed. I always know my kids when they've done something because they start hiding from me or whatever else or hiding from their mother, their behavior changes. So God comes along and he says, why are you hiding in the bush? What have you done? Have you eaten of the tree I told you not to eat? And immediately Adam goes, you know, Lord, it was a woman you gave me. <laughs> and the selfishness problems. And I want us to look just beyond a little bit of the story. I want us to see the dynamic. Before that, you know, Adam and the woman were great. They were together. They were part of each other. And suddenly Adam is blaming the woman and blaming God. And sin is in the world. Sin has done its work. So what happens from there? Well... What God does now is he uh, starts the process that we call redemption. What God does now is he starts the process of seeking us out to bring us back. And through forgiveness, what Jesus did on the cross, God's core desire is to heal the relationship between him and us so that he can pour his strength through us now into our relationships. And this is what we got to understand, you know. Uh, the engineer, um, I've, I've got a fragment in my brain that works like an engineer, according to Craig, uh, <laughs> which means I look for how things work. I'm interested in the practical things. What are the dynamics? The reality is, is that the strength for our relationships here on this earth, person to, draw those legs right, oh, he broke, got a broken knee, whatever, <laughs> okay. person to person, the strength for these relationships comes from this relationship. When this relationship is restored, we become less self-centered and we begin to serve one another. You can always tell when this relationship uh, is broken because we're selfish on this level. And you know what First John says? You know, uh, a guy can say that uh, everything's good, but hates his brother, it means he's lying. So if this relationship down here, if you hate your brother down here, and you try to tell me that your relationship with God is solid, the scripture says you're a liar. The scripture says, I'm a liar. When my wife comes to me, how are you doing? Well, I'm fine. I don't think you're fine because, you know, you and Charlie are out of, out of whack with each other. That <laughs> means there's a flawed here. When we heal the relationship here, when God heals the relationship, when we say yes to him, he begins to pour his heart into us give us compassion for other people that we don't otherwise have. It's funny, you know, because when Claude and I go to Teen Challenge, if my, if my walk with God is good, I find myself having compassion for these broken men out of Teen Challenge, and I want to pour into them. When my walk with God is not good, I tend to look at those guys like they're a drain on me. They're sucking life out of me. I only got so much energy, and you're taking part of it, and dang it, I got to do this because I'm a minister, but I don't like it, right? You get selfish. So if somebody came to Jesus one time, this is the first core teaching of Jesus. And they said, Jesus, what is the most important thing? Matthew 22, 37 to 40. And Jesus said this, the most important thing is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. That is the first and greatest relationship. And it's so important because the strength for the second great relationship comes out of the first. And then he says the second one is like it. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I've met people that I don't want to be loved by them the way they love themselves. <laughs> you know, I think about people that are like nasty, right? They, they, they're full of self-hatred. They don't like themselves. And I'm going, please don't treat me the way you treat yourself. You know, I, I think about a young lady I knew that was bulimic, right? And she'd pig out and then she'd, then she'd wolf all her cookies down the toilet. I don't want to be treated like that. You know what I mean? The way you were treating yourself, I don't want to be treated like that. Oh, my goodness. You know, how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, first you've got to love yourself. If you're a person that struggles with self-hatred, how do you love yourself? First John 4, um, 19 says this. We love because he's first loved us. And so, interestingly enough, this relationship here is actually in response to this relationship here. When God loves us, he pours his love into our hearts so that we can love others. So I always tell the story when I fell in love with my wife, right? You know, and I, I was sort of scared to tell her I loved her, so she said it first. And one night she looked at me and she said, I think I love you. And, and that did, that messed me up really bad. I didn't know how to respond. 
So I hugged her quick, so I, you know, I, I didn't have to look at her, and then I walked away, right? I tell that story all the time, everywhere. Um, and, and, and I went home, and I thought, what does this mean? And I'm sort of like, I'm sort of like, I'm sort, sort of like, going, something's happening. And suddenly I had this craving to buy jewelry, to buy flowers, and to write poetry, which I've never written before or since. But the fact that she expressed her love for me brought a response. And this is the same thing with Christ. We see the greatest change in people when they are touched by the love of God because it changes the way they interact with other people. So Jesus says, this is the most important thing. Now sometimes we get things uh, backwards. Now what have I done here? Sometimes we get things backwards. Mothers do this a lot. Uh, pastors do this a lot. When we get things, uh, we start doing this. We get things switched around. So we get it going like this. That looks like that looks sort of legit too. Like that's like a cross right there. Eh? There's several types of crosses. The one that goes across and then comes straight down without an upright here. That's called a tau cross. So we go. This looks great. And we go. First call is to love our neighbors or ourselves. And this happens when we we see the needs around us and we start spending all our time giving to other people. We start spending all our time trying to meet all our kids' needs, meet our spouse's needs, meet everybody else's needs. And at the end of the day, God comes in second. And because there's so many needs around us, we find ourselves running ourselves dry. Gradually, God needs less time, which means we got less strength, less energy, and we burn ourselves out. If this is where you are, it means you've got your priorities back. Jesus said it's got to be the other way around. This has to be the first great relationship. One and two. Because from this pours the strength. So for you, your devotional time is so important. And if you're like me and Claude, like same thing. Stick a Bible beside the toilet and when you're taking a horrid crank, read your Bible. There are horrid cranks. When you're sitting on the toilet. Yeah, yeah, okay. I won't get any more graphic than that. You get it. You get it. You get it. Frank, I'm writing that down. So, <laughs> I, got that from, I, I got that word, that statement from a roommate of mine uh, out in Aberdeen when I used to go to Bible school with him. Anyway, so first core teaching. up. Did somebody say when? No, things or, you learn in Bible school. Things you learn in Bible school. Or thanks. We also raise chickens in our room. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's another story. I was doing boring stuff in school. Oh, yeah. yeah. Apparently. Yeah, when class. they got too big for our room, we, we turned them loose. We, we actually gave them to the girls in the girls' dorm as a present. They thought they were cute. Thought they were loud. <laughs> so the first core teaching of Jesus, when we look at that, you know, it is this Matthew chapter 22 thing. And, and this has become sort of a lens through, whom, through which I view things. When you're talking with people and they're broken down here, it means that there's a break happening up here. And so instead of trying to fix something that cannot be fixed without the strength of God, I find myself going, can we talk about Jesus? And how do we invite Jesus back in? How do we reconnect with our Lord to let him become that strength? And so then, you know, um, back down to this little drawing here. We have moved from God-dependence to self-dependence, from God's interest to self-interest. What do we do next? And so Claude made the comment, repent and believe. So I talk about repent and believe all the time. The biggest thing we have to understand about sin, when we talk about repent and believe, it means we're turning from sin, we're turning back to God. And this is Jesus' great teaching that he did when he came out of um, the, uh, you know, he, he'd spent some time fighting the devil. He'd been in the, uh, the wilderness. The devil attempted him to take things on his own, in his own strength. Like, you've got to know this about the devil. The temptation with the devil is always the same. He said, do it yourself. Do it for yourself. Do it by your own strength. Always go to your, your, your self-strength. He's always going to take you over here. That's what he did with Jesus. Prove who you are. Jump off the temple. You're hungry? Feed yourself. You can do this. <clears throat> you want to do good? Worship me. I can give you the power to do good all around the world. I'll give it all to you. 
The devil will make trade-offs with you. If you make a trade-off for the devil, you end up over here, and you end up vulnerable. So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes out <coughs> with this teaching. Repent and believe. Confess your sins. So what do you do when you confess? You get honest. You say what I've done. But I've run into lots of people who they confess all the time. This is what I did. And they never get their freedom. Why not? Because the second part of this is to renounce the benefit. So I've spent a fair amount of time teaching people about the benefit. What do you get from your sin? So when we talk about sin, we talk about um, this is your sin. I like to draw it out like this. There's always a, a bit of thrill. This is the fun part of your sin. You know, when you shot the neighbor's cat, what was the thrill? Ha <laughs> ha, no more cat. Besides, I hit him. <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, but then there's a pain part. That's when the neighbor comes over and starts to sue you for shooting a cat, right? When you're an addict, what do you do? When a guy shoots drugs into his arm, there's always a thrill. There's always this time of this, this, this rush of the drug. But it destroys all the relationships around him and destroys his life. There's a pain part. And so what the devil does, in order to, that's what he did with Adam and Eve. He says, you could be your own God, run your own life, your own way. He offers them a benefit. What do you get from your sin? And somebody who's not ready to let go of the benefit is never going to be ready for freedom. And that's why a lot of people don't get their freedom. So when I run into people that confess their sin a lot, but they still got their, they're still in bondage, I go, so what are you still, what are you hanging on to? Because if you, you think about the sin, if you're hanging on to this part, this part is attached to it. This part is never going away. Most of us, what we try to do is we pray the pain away. These are the pain away people. As long as you try to pray the pain away without giving Jesus the benefit, giving the, the whole sin to him, you're never going to be free. The guy that's ready to give up the benefit is ready to be free. So then we talk about believe, and believe means to understand who Jesus is. Funny, you know, you think that people understand who Jesus is. I, I've got to the point in my walk with God that I don't assume anybody knows who Jesus is. So I was mentioning somebody to somebody here today about, um, well, John and I were talking this morning about the Congo. And one of the opportunities we got in the Congo uh, when I was down there here a number of years ago, was we got this opportunity. Um, we'd been teaching in one area. The military commander in that area loved our teaching. He thought Dr. Forgiveness' teaching is awesome. So I said, well, I'd like to teach it to some of your associates. He said, well, I, you know, we over, the military oversees the police departments. We'll set you up at a police department in Bukavu City in East Congo. So they did. So we went back and we, we were going to teach the forgiveness teachings to this group of 80 police officers. I remember at the beginning of the seminar, this colonel stood up, and it's French there. They talk French, so it's not colonel, it's colonel. And the guy's name, you know, the guy's name was, well, the one colonel I met, I thought his name was hilarious. It was Colonel Innocent. There's <laughs> <laughs> his commander, one of the most corrupt militaries in the world, and his name is Innocent. Anyway, Innocent set us up with this other colonel. So this colonel, we had 80 police officers, senior police officers, and this colonel stands to his feet, and he says, why should I sit and listen to you teach about forgiveness for four days? And I said, well, why would I say it? How many of you struggle over on this side? How many of you struggle with the ang with anger over how people treat you, the public treats you? Well, we all do. I said, so my goal is this. Through forgiveness, I want to help you get free from that anger. Forgive people, get free from that anger, and you're going to be more at peace. You're going to be a better police officer. Okay, we'll listen to you. So they listened to us uh, for four days. They went through the teachings for four days. Now, the other thing that he said at the, at the beginning, uh, at the beginning I asked him, I said, who here is a Christian? So do we, we assume. If you tell me you're a Christian, I go, great. I've started to realize not everybody knows what that is. So this guy, I said, who here is a Christian? All 80 hands go up in this place, right? Including one chaplain. There was a chaplain there that I don't think was a Christian. Anyway, <laughs> the way he acted. Anyway, all 80 hands go up. Great. So we do four days of training in the forgiveness seminar. And at the end, this same colonel stands to his feet and he says, because that's what the Africans do at the end. All of the top-ranking guys get up and they do a little talk about what they get. It's called protocol. 
So this colonel, he stands up and he said, this is what I've learned in this four days. He said, I've learned that we did not know what being a Christian was. He said, we did not know really who Jesus was. We did not know what the, the crucifixion really meant. We did not know what sin was. He says, we sin all the time every day. He says, we did not know what forgiveness meant. He said, now we know and we're ready to believe. So I'm going, opportunity presented. All these people that told me they were Christians who've realized now they're not, because all they had was a terminology. Who here would give your life to Jesus and commit your service to him? And the whole place stood to their feet and come, came forward. Got it all on video. I should show you sometime. But I, I've learned that when I talk about this process, it's not enough to confess and renounce your sins when you have nowhere to turn. That's only the first half. That makes you ready to be free. The power comes from God. The power to come back from here. As you've been over here, the power to come back. It's called faith. But you've got to know who you're going to believe in. And so we explain who Jesus is. You know, Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, Jesus is God himself. In John 14, somebody came to Jesus and said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God looks like and how God handles people, you study Jesus. Even in some places in the Old Testament where they talk about God, you're getting the opinion of someone back there who did not understand who God was. The Apostle Paul even says a couple of times in the New Testament, he says, the word I'm giving you right now is not from God, it's my opinion. You know, the Old Testament has got a pile of history in it, and it records a lot of stuff. When you interpret the God we see in the Old Testament, Jesus said, you know what? Well, actually, God said, I have to show myself to them. We call Jesus the incarnate word. That means he is God's word with flesh on so to understand God from the Old Testament, we look through Jesus. To understand God from the New Testament, we see Jesus. So God poured himself into the skin of Jesus, and he came and he died for our sins. And he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And so I explain that to everybody, largely because I've, I've learned that a lot of people got Christian lingo, and they don't really know who Jesus is. And then at the end of that explanation, my grandfather told me this, don't lead the horse to the water and don't let him, and not let him drink. And we do that a lot from pulpits. We stop with the information. Jesus chastised the, chastised the Pharisees. He said, you know, you search the scriptures, you know all this stuff, but you won't actually engage. You won't come to me. Trust him. Will you trust him? And this is a big thing. It, it's with regard to forgiveness. Will you trust Jesus and forgive the person that hurt you? Yeah, but I want to pay him back. You know what? If I forgive him, I, if I let him off the hook, what happens now? Jesus says, will you trust me? So, our, one of our little recent experiences, we bought this house, right? We've got four clawfoot tubs. They're all in a mess. We wanted to get the clawfoot tubs changed or fixed. So we called in... Uh, um, an applicator that would come in and redo the tubs. He did an awful, horrific job. Um, and it was a ripoff, is what it was. And so I came back and I, I saw what the job the guy had done and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going after this company, right? I'm gonna go and I'm gonna uh, tell them what I think and we're gonna do a bunch of things. And and I this 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 passage started coming to mind to mind. Why not rather be wrong? I don't want to hear that passage. <laughs> What do you mean, why not rather be wrong? Why not put them in the hands of God? So I thought, well, I'll at least pray about it. So this is what I said. Okay, I prayed a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I put these people in the hands of God, in your hands. You can deal with them. And I'm thinking, and now I'll go and have a chat with them, right? And it was interesting because after that prayer time, I found that I totally lost the motivation to go and have a chat with them. The reality is if that they treat their customers that way, there are other customers. They, they will lose their business. But the challenge for me was how will you handle it? Will you trust me with them? That's what you're doing. You know, when you talk about finding and following God's call, this teaching here, will you step out and cross the Jordan? Are you kidding me? That's new territory. I'm used to this side of the river. 
right? I ain't used to that side of the river. God wants to change something for you. Will you trust him? You know, when you're dealing with, with demonic issues, if you are fighting the devil in your own strength, you are toast. He will fry you, and he will keep you in torment the rest of your life. Even if you're not demon-possessed. But if, if the devil is under attack, and remember what the devil does, the primary attack of the devil is always, what? Mess with your relationships. And if you're going to battle the devil in your own strength, you are going to be one sad, unhappy person the rest of your life. What if you said to God, Lord, my life is yours and I'll do whatever you give me to do. That's a part of the calling we have in our, our ministry. When we started this ministry, I didn't know how to make it happen. So this is a deal I made with God. It was a two-point two deal. If you'll give me opportunities, I'll use the opportunities. If you'll pay the bills, I'll know that I'm on track, that you're providing. And somehow, 15 years later, the opportunities come. And there are times when I'm going, I'm not sure if I want to use this opportunity. And God says, trust me. Here I raise my Ebenezer. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But there are these transition points where God is leads us out of an old way of living into a new way of living. Mm -hmm. It's all based on trust. So when we talk repent and believe, there are people I've learned that actually talked about this teaching. This is a core teaching of Jesus applies everywhere. I talked about this with with a group of people, and a lady came up after me. She says, I hate that word. I said, what do you mean? She says, you shouldn't teach on it anymore. <laughs> well, if I'm going to go with the politically correct, correct approach that we have today, I would say, well, if it's an offensive word, then I just won't talk about it, right? And we would lose a primary teaching of Jesus. <laughs> no, no. I said, what do, you, what do you understand this word to mean? Well, I'm tired of punishing myself. You think repentance is punishing? That's what she thought. She had been brought up in a family that said, you repent, go, go to your room, sit in a corner, and repent. And she equated that word now with punishment. She doesn't need us not to use the word. She needs us to teach what repentance really is. Repentance means, I am going to turn from myself, and I am going to accept the help of God. And in that sense, that repentance is awesome, because now I don't have to deal with the tough guy. <laughs> And that's not the name of his business. I don't have to deal with the tough guy, right? I'm going, all right. In fact, the tub guy, what he did to the tub, I'm just thinking, got my wife all cranked up about maybe she'd try and redo that tub. <laughs> so instead of 500 bucks a tub, it's going to cost us 60 bucks a tub. Maybe the guy actually saved us money. <laughs> anyway, whatever. <laughs> and then when she's done the four tubs, I can rent her out at 300 bucks a tub. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! But this is a core teaching of Jesus. And it applies to everything. And the more you walk with this core teaching, the more you will step into people's lives and God will give you opportunity and you'll say, hmm, something's broken here. That means something's broken here. That means they're in their own self-strength, trying to fix their life, trying to do something they are not equipped to do. We need to go here. Can we talk about Jesus? And you'd be amazed at how many people will go, well, if you can help. That's different than saying, you dirtbag, you need to believe in Jesus. People won't respond to that very well, right? Can we talk about Jesus? Well, if you can help. Are you ready to trust him? Yeah. Pray with me. And then we go to um, John chapter 1, verse 5. One of the other core teachings of Jesus that I talk about is the heart of God. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him, whoever would trust him, would not perish but have eternal life. What's the core of that verse? It talks about the driving motive of God. It actually speaks of God's need to express his love for us. People say, hold it, God is sovereign, God has no need. What are you talking about? I say God has a need. God needs to express his love for us. Mm -hmm. It is who he is, and he, he needs to express that. I mean, whether we receive it or not, that's not the issue. John 3, 17. For God did not come to condemn the world. The Son did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Could you be condemned? Yes, you could be condemned. 
There are a lot of people, when they hear this stuff, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I did this, this, and this. Yeah, what can God do with that? You know, I'm, it's too late for me. And, and I say, yeah, you could be condemned, but God did not come to condemn you. God's desire is not to condemn you. God is to, He came to save. You know? I mean, I could shoot the neighbor's cat, but I don't want to shoot the neighbor's cat because I want to bless the neighbor. You get what I'm saying? Maybe that's a bad illustration. But anyway. No, it's a perfect one. Just bring the cat food. Cats on all sides. I agree with you. Bring them cat food. Yeah. Why, why do I not set out a plate of antifreeze? Because I want to bless the neighbor, right? I don't want to kill the cat. Anyone know what antifreeze does to cats? Yeah, it does the same thing. They like it. They drink it like candy. And, and they go away and die. They actually, caught an, they actually caught an old man here uh, a number of years ago putting out plates of antifreeze and there was all the cats disappeared from his neighborhood. And, and, and they take themselves away. Anyway, I shouldn't be talking about that. That's no. a whole distraction. Don't do it. Don't do it. But as you explain the heart of God to people, as you explain the heart of God to people, one of the biggest things that you will run into is people... They think, they don't think the way God thinks. And they think, because I've done this, I am bad. And so one of the, my approaches is to, let's talk about the heart of God for you. John 3.16, John 3.17. You know, John 8, 39. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. He will come for us wherever we are. Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Right? So God, God in His love, seeks us out. Yes, He does. And in that moment, we start to understand a little bit of John 1.5. Because we have lived so often over here on the self side, it's hard to wrap your head around the other side, the God side. But John 1.5 says simply this, Jesus is a light in the darkness. He is the light of this world and he shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome him. And so for me, when you, when, when I deal with, with some of the situations I get into, I think about this. Here I am. I talk to somebody um, and there's, there's a, there's a savior and the situation that they are in or that their life is in. The Savior in the situation. This is simple. This is complex. I mean, if you, you listen to some of, my, uh, some of my friends describe struggles in their life, you know, Aunt Charlotte, not Aunt Charlie, Aunt Charlotte, Uncle Charlie, um, have done this, this, and this, and the cousins are doing this, and mom and dad are doing this, and my sister is doing this, and there's all these complexities. How do you fix all that stuff? Too complex. So what you get to do is, a lot of people spend all their time focused on fixing their situation. Through repentance and belief, we lay the situation in Jesus' hands, we turn our eyes to the Savior, the Savior is simple. The Savior is like a light bulb. In the midst of the darkness and the complexities of the darkness, like when I think about walking through this place, if we could shut all the windows, close everything off, and then just walk blind through this place, the stuff you'd trip on, the cares and concerns you'd have about navigating your way through this house, it all changes when the lights come on. And Jesus is the night vision goggles. And Jesus is the night vision That is a good illustration. Once you can see, it becomes safe. So anyway, that's what John 1.5 does. John 1.5 says, He is the light and shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not interface with Him. So this is what I find myself doing. You look for those broken relationships. Okay. Remember, in this, this kind of a diagram here, you go back to this. When they're focused on this, and trying to, trying to fix this, that means that indicates that there's problems up here. They've lost their focus on God. And because they've lost their focus on God, this is messed up. So the response that we're looking for, or the, the approach we're looking for, 
that Jesus calls us to is not to strain to fix this when this is broken. Instead, through repentance, we say, Lord, forgive me. I renounce trying to fix and manipulate my situation. If your husband and your wife doesn't act properly, or you don't like her, or she doesn't like you, you can bang away at her, or try to fix her, or try to buy her off, or try to get rid of her. Or, you can say, Lord, I repent. I put my wife into your hands. I put my situation with her into your hands. If it's friends, and sometimes it's hard, because sometimes, you know, people will walk on from you, right? You have to let them go. I've had to do that. But I had to stop trying to manipulate them and fix them and put them in the hands of God. When we turn our, our situation to the Savior, now God is going to work our situation. When we turn our focus to here, now God begins his strength to bear here. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is in its essence, this is the framework that I function out of. And, and I, I function out of this because I, like I say, in my earlier years, I, I said, Lord, this is, all this church stuff that we're doing nowadays is too complex. You go from seminar to seminar and teacher to teacher, and one guy teaches this, one guy teaches that. There's no unifying factor there otherwise, other than maybe Jesus, or a little talk about Jesus. And by the time you go to one seminar, the last one you went to is 98% squeezed out of your head, and you go to the second seminar, and then it's all gone. And, you know, you're all, where's the unity? And God says, go to the great teaching. They apply everywhere. And so over the years, that's what I've done. As I, as I get into these situations, and this is what we teach in our seminars to people too, when you're busy struggling down here, and 99.9% of people are busy struggling down here, they've got their focus on the situation, trying to fix it, or they're overcome by it, or they've given up because it's too much for them to do. And we agree with them. I can't fix your situation either. Man, you are messed up, right? Because we turn our eyes to Jesus. Let him lead us across that Jordan River. And he will lead you to do stuff that is not in your training. I don't want you to go after that tough guy. Yeah, but I want to go after him, man. You've got to let that go. Are you willing? Okay. God's bringing something good up. So Matthew 22, 37, 40. Love the Lord and God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. We love because he first loved us. That God loves you, that will pour through to your neighbor. Repent and believe. You get out of your own strength. Maybe you're trying to fix issues in your church. Maybe here, you know, we're going like, where does shepherd's heart go from here? Simple repentance. Always repentance. Dear Jesus, we're in your hands. You know, one of the things that struck me one day was Jesus wants to use me more than I want to be used. Mm-hmm. What if I just said, Dear Jesus? And actually, there's an old evangelist. I think the guy's name was Dwight Moody. Old evangelist who heard a message one time, and the, the guy that was speaking said, What could God do with one totally surrendered man? Mm-hmm. And of course, Jesus was that totally surrendered one. Look what God did with him. Dwight Moody, P.L. Moody, prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, let me be that man. That means a lot of letting go. It means a lot of surrender. It means repentance. Lord, I'm in your hands. And then what do you do? You get to be one of those people that walks around this world inviting Jesus into all the darkness you run into. And then, I tell all these stories, right? None of these stories have I ever planned. And I, I've tried to replicate them. It doesn't work. right? <laughs> because this God who healed people, you know what, we're going to heal this guy who's blind, right? So he heals him one way. We're going to heal the other guy that's blind by spitting in his eyes. The other guy, we're going to make mud and we're going to wipe it in his eyes, right? Like, so Jesus does all this stuff different ways. Like it's this creative God that you can't nail down a formula. But that's about we get the invite involved with darkness, right? And then we get the privilege of being able to tell stories about how he intervenes. When you invite Jesus into the darkness, it's called faith. It's the opposite of sin. Sin is where I trust myself. Faith is where I say, Lord, I'm in your hands. And sometimes the ride gets wild enough that you've got to keep your eyes firmly on him. Otherwise, 
I read something on Facebook that says, I know Jesus has the wheel, but sometimes I think we off-roading. Yeah. <coughs> Bumpy ride. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good image. We're driving through the, the bush country in Tanzania, and they, they were building a big brand new highway, and we are going through parts of it that were done, and we're thinking, and, and because the highway was being constructed, they didn't build an alternative road. <laughs> They just funneled everybody's semis and all into the bush, right? So our average speed was about 15, 20 kilometers an hour. Boom, 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 boom. And there's this big brand new highway sitting there waiting to be used. So we want to get up and go this highway. Okay. Um, Any other thoughts on that? So I want to shift us now. We're going to do communion as we close our service. Um, and I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We talk about inviting Jesus into the darkness. Communion is a tactile prayer. And what I mean by a tactile prayer is it's a prayer that you can touch, you can taste, you can drink. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Jesus said, when you do this, remember me. The, the thing is, is when you remember Jesus, when you pray and you say, Jesus, I'm turning my eyes to you, his spirit comes. So there's something that happens in prayer um, or, or in communion that, that Martin Luther called uh, the great mystery of faith. We can't fully explain it. Churches have thought about it for years. But I want us to come now to, to communion today, not as theologians who argue about technicalities. I want us to come like the early disciples on the first communion day. Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, take, eat, drink. And so we come as disciples, preparing to receive Jesus into the darkness.